So let's continue this morning. Father, what can we say to you? Father, when we contemplate by your Spirit and we think about who you are and what you have done, Father, when we think of the cost to the Godhead of our redemption, Father, when we consider that very easily, And with perfect justice, you could have walked right past all of us here this morning and left us in an unsaved condition forever. But Father, in this incredible mystery and incredible grace, you knew each one of us personally from eternity. And you fix the people, the number, the timing, and the means of our salvation. All by your grace. So, Father, we're here this morning to receive from you. As those who in ourselves are totally unworthy, but yet as your children, you have called us worthy to receive your goodness. So this morning we sit and we listen, and by faith we receive. Receive your ministry, receive your care, receive your instruction, receive your correction. Receive Jesus by your Spirit. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me put a little water in my radiator. This morning, we're continuing to talk about the significance of the ascension. And that everything that has been accomplished by the Lord Jesus in our redemption during his earthly ministry, which is called the first advent, the first appearing of Jesus, the second advent will be when he comes back again. So the first advent. And so in the first advent, all is necessary for our salvation has been put together. Amen. It is finished. What verse is that? John chapter 19, verse 30. And so he ascends into the, into the Father and is crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. He's been given all authority in heaven and earth. And primarily that authority is to send the Holy Spirit so that what God has done by setting his glory upon the humanity of the Son of God He will now distribute that glory to all of his people who were brought into fellowship with the Son. And so we've been talking about 
that activity of the Holy Spirit and doing that work of God. And we started off last week, remember, foreknowing us, pro-gnosko, to know personally each one of us, to know you personally. And when God knows us personally, he knows us comprehensively, completely, and immediately. There's absolutely nothing about us that he does not know in his knowing. Nothing is hidden from him. And so he knows absolutely everything, which entails the things that we're going to do. But the burden of the word foreknowledge is not that he knows things and activities and decisions, knowing that we will receive Christ, therefore he saves us. No. Knowing me, knowing you, because of his foreknowledge, you will receive Christ. He sees that you will. Why? Because he has foreknown you. Do you see that? Now, thankfully, he's not left it up to us. Because some would say, well, I don't know how I feel about that. Because God has made a choice. If he makes no choice, no one's saved. I didn't hear any words. No one is saved. Remember Romans 3? No one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks. No one understands. Remember those words? In Romans chapter 3, 9 and 10, do you remember that? And so thank God for his foreknowledge. And so we said that because of that, By the time Paul gets to Romans 8, 28, he makes this astounding statement, and then he explains it. For we know, what do we know? That God works all things for good for those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. We know that. And so in the other verses there, he begins to explain what that means. And this morning, we're going to talk about predestination and called. I think the word predestination has been given a very bad rap. How many of us, you may not agree with it, but at least how many of us have heard this said? God predestines some for salvation and he predestines some to be damned. God says, you in, you in, you not in. You in, you in, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you, but you. That's understood to be predestination. Are you with me on this? That's not the burden of the word predestination. It's not the burden of the word predestination. How many of you remember this? Jesus says, narrow is the way or the road that leads to what? Salvation, eternal life. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many folks on that road, but there are few folks, what? On the narrow way. Now, the word predestination generally in the church, because I think it's misunderstood, is a hated and even rejected word, although it appears in several essential contexts in the New Testament. We just don't like it. I don't like the idea that God did this and that. It just rubs our so-called freedom 
wrong, doesn't it? But then we come to something like the narrow road and the wide road. How many of us hate that? How many sermons have you heard hating the narrow road? I don't like that. Yet predestination, I would submit, is God's narrow road that leads to calling, that leads to justification, that leads to glorification. And seen in that, and I think more accurate context, all of a sudden, Brewster, predestination becomes a wonderful, wonderful word because God, knowing you ahead of time, births you into this world and at the right time sets you on that narrow road that will guarantee that you will get to the end. Amen? Amen. Then the word predestination is thank God, Lester, for God's predestinating care and comfort and power. It's based on whom he knew. Therefore, he what? Predestined. Do you remember verse 30? Well, those whom he knew, remember what? He predestined. And those whom he predestined, he what? He also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So I want you to think of predestination this morning more in the context of the narrow way or the narrow road. It's not in your notes. The term predestination, and I had the Greek word there, has to do with the activity of directing a person to a particular goal. The word predestination in and of itself is not determining what you will be and where you're going. It is predetermining a destination in relation to God's foreknowing us because we were foreknown to be glorified. Do we get it? Because we were foreknown to be glorified. Do you see that? Foreknown to be glorified. Therefore, God puts us on the only path that can determine and guarantee that we will reach God's goal of being glorified. That's predestination. Does that help you any? That should relieve a lot of us of, oh, wow, okay, so it's okay for me to believe in predestination without vilifying God. Now, does that mean we understand everything? Nope. Does that mean that we have to be actually in natural agreement with everything with God? No. But we can know it's God's will, and we can know that his will is always right. It's always a blessing. You see, although some might believe that predestination is God's cold and arbitrary decision to damn some, you out. Remember what Ephesians 1, 4 tells us, that in love, God predestines us. Who? Who are the us? Those whom he has foreknown. Not those who receive Christ. Those whom he has what? Foreknown. Not those who made a profession of faith. You made a profession of faith not to be foreknown, but because you were already what? Foreknown. Do you see that we want to make sure that we put us in the right place underneath God, not equal with him? 
And as a result, we do this, therefore God does that. The motivating purpose of God in predestining us, according to his foreknowledge, is not us. His motivation is his own love. In love. He's motivated by his intra-Trinitarian love. Intra meaning what? Within, among the three persons of the Trinity. That's why he saved you. Remember Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8? Israel? It wasn't because you were a great big country and you were somebody and whatever that I made you my people. Why did I make you my people? Because I loved you. What kind of an answer is that? We're looking for something in and about ourselves. In love, he predestined us. Therefore, you see, predestination is God's means of guarantee. Remember the cook? What was his name? Justin, I guarantee. Predestination is God's work of guaranteeing that those whom he has lovingly foreknown to be glorified will be glorified. Ephesians 1.11, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. Why and how? Having been predestined. We were predestined for what? How will God glorify us? We've been predestined to be what? Called. Remember, predestinate those whom he predestined, he also called. Do you, you see that in verse 30? So, what is the sequence again? In God, in the pre-temporal activity of God. You know what I mean by pre-temporal before Genesis 1-1? Before God created time and eternity. Before that. Before Genesis 1-1, there was no eternity. Eternity has to do with duration of time. There's no such thing in God. He just what? Is. Can you get your mind on that? <laughs> that will give you an Excedrin headache. Remember years ago I have an Excedrin headache. In that context, when God is the only is, he knew us. Knowing us, he put us on a path. And that path included being called from outside or from another path onto the right path. Amen. We were all born, what, walking the wrong path. Are you with me, Warren? Are you with me, Alb? Paul, are you with me? We were all born, what? Walking the wrong path. The wide path that leads where? To destruction. We were all born on that path. It wasn't our fault. We were just born. That was the path. And so in order to be glorified, we have to be what? Called out of that path into God's path. 
So those whom God has known ahead of time, he predestines to be called to the right or to the narrow path. Hopefully this explains it in a way that, ah, I see how this is working now. It begins to make a flow, a sense in, where is flow? It begins to make a sense, a flowing thing. You see, because these five words are not just five individual words. It is explaining the flow of the river of God. Amen. Thank you, brother. So those, what? Who are those? From verse 29. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And those whom he predestined, he also what? He also called. Because of God's foreknowing us, he has predestined us to be personally and deliberately called by the Holy Spirit through the gospel of his son. This is the guaranteed, absolute, secure work of the Holy Spirit. Every single human being who has, is, or will ever be born, whom God has foreknown, will be called. There will not be one whom God has foreknown who will not be called, hear the call, and respond to the call. Are you with me on this? Because one of the concerns and fears of people is this, believers is this. If I don't share the gospel, people won't be saved. Well, if you don't share the gospel, you're just going to miss out on a good blessing of work being a co-worker with Christ. But do you believe, do we believe that God has given to us such an ability and authority that if I personally do not share the gospel with John May, John May is in danger of being damned? Do you really believe that? No, I'm in danger of losing blessings. Now, I'm supposed to share the gospel with this man. I'm commanded to do that. That's God's mystery of using us in the activity of calling his people by the Spirit by using us. But it has nothing to do with, well, they won't be saved unless we preach. God needs you to be his hands and his ears and his legs and his voice. That's not true. God ain't needed nobody no time. God desires and chooses to use us this way, but it is not a need that he has. It is a decision that he has made to join himself relationally to us for the promulgation of the gospel. Amen? So you're not needed at all. I'm not needed as far as God's needing something. He is not a needy being. He is totally self-sufficient, needing nothing or no one external to himself. The Father needs the Son. The Son needs the Holy Spirit. But outside of the context of the Trinity, God don't need nothing or nobody. But what a God who defers and chooses to use us. Amen? And so, we're called. The call of God is his declaration to summon us into his kingdom. And he does it through the proclamation of the gospel 
by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot to say here, but we won't take a whole lot of time on this. This call begins when? When does this call begin? When does the call of the gospel begin? Does it begin before the fall? Yeah, but in history, sorry, in a historical sense. You're right. Before the foundation of the world, Anna's right, the call was there. But in a historical sense, there is no call of God before the fall. Man is created in the image of God and there's fellowship. There's no need to call him. Hey, hey, there's no need. He's right there. When does the call begin? You see, if you don't go back to Genesis, you don't get it. What verse is the call of God? Verse what? Genesis 3 verse 5 and 4 is what? What's 5 and 4? 9, you got it. Rochelle knows. What does verse 9 say? Genesis 3. Somebody read Genesis 3, 9. I don't know what it says. You tell me. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Chapter 3 is the third chapter. Verse 9 is the ninth verse. For you biblical scholars in here, come on, come on. We should know where Genesis is by now. It's not after Revelation. It's before Revelation, about two books before Revelation. It's next to Deuteronomus. <laughs> Somebody tell me what verse 3, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 says. Somebody read it. Are you? Say it again. Where? But the Lord called to the man. The Lord what, brother? Called. Say it one more time. I didn't hear you. Called. Don't you love it? Seriously. And the Lord called to the man. Why is he calling? In Genesis 3, 6, Adam ate and he ate. What happened in Genesis 3, 7? Ah, we naked. Ah. And they ran and hid themselves and they, you know, they, they were hiding from God. And so in verse 8, what's happening? God's walking through the garden. Do you see it? Are you with me? Did you see the movie at least? Do you understand? <laughs> you see, this is not Mickey Mouse. This is not the magic kingdom. This is the kingdom of God. No magic here. And God is walking. And God said, hey, Adam, where you are? Where are you? Now, God doesn't know. How many of you have ever asked your children what you're doing and you knew it? Come on. How many of you, you knew what they're doing, but how many of you ever asked your children what they're doing? Come on, raise your hand. You knew it. You knew it. You ain't dumb. You just want them to tell you what they're doing. And he says what? Adam. He calls. Who are the called? Adam, where are you? In that call of Adam, God is calling all of those who are in Adam to be called. In that call of Adam, God is calling all of those who are to be called to be called. Are you with me? That's the call. It begins when? In verse 9, chapter 3 of Genesis. And that call continues. Had Adam not called, sorry, had God not called Adam and Eve would they have been clothed with the skin of an animal that you see in chapter 3, verse 21? No. They would have been left to their own devices, kicked out of the garden, and been condemned forever. And in their condemnation forever and lost forever, we also would have been lost forever because we were in them. 
are you following this morning? Why are you here today? Why are you saved? Please do not ever say, at least that I can hear you. I am saved because I received Jesus. That is not why you're saved. You're saved because Jesus called you. Amen. We're saved because God put us into his son. So when his son lived righteously and obediently, I'm getting into next week a little bit. And when his son was crucified, God saw it that it was on our behalf and included us in it. Galatians 2.20 is a good text for that. You see, the call was a call to restoration of fellowship, which he would achieve by the seed of the woman. Remember in Genesis 3.15, through the shedding of the blood in Genesis 3.21. There's the gospel. The gospel, therefore, does not begin in Matthew 1.1. When does the gospel begin historically? The moment we read Genesis 3, 6, the gospel begins. Amen? It starts with man running like hell or maybe to hell and God stopping him. Through one man's death and calling to that man and that woman. And what happened? The Bible says the Lord clothed them. You remember that? With the skins? I don't think Adam and Eve said, don't clothe me, don't clothe me. I don't want that. I don't, 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 don't touch me. They submitted to it. Why? Because they realized they needed it. And it was a gracious act of God's mercy to clothe them and to cover them spiritually. You see... This means that God calls his people back to himself through the word of God. Right? Through the word of the gospel. Now, when we say the word of the gospel, you may be thinking of particular words. When I hear the word of the gospel or the word of the cross, I think this way. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. When I see the word, the word of the gospel, the word of the cross, you know, the word of our confession, I think of a risen man. The person of Christ. He's the word of the gospel. This call of God is his initiating call of love. Remember in John 4, 1 John four nineteen, what does it say? These are verses we just kind of need to know. What does 1 John four nineteen say? God loved me because I received Christ beforehand. Therefore, he loved me because he knew I would receive Christ. Is that what he says? What does it say? Well, this is love. Not that we what? First loved God, but that he what? First loved us. And Sherry, when did he love you? Before Genesis 1-1. Billy, when did he love you? Before what? Genesis 1-1. Steve, when did he love you? I can't hear you, Steve. You can speak up before Genesis 1-1. It's okay to speak up in this class. Kevin, when did he love you? Kevin McGarry, when did he love you? When? Before Genesis 1-1. Kevin was sleeping there. Mary, when did he love you? 
Anthony, when did he love you? Yes. Do we, are we getting it? Because he loved us before Genesis 1-1, he predestined us to be put on the right road by calling us to his love. Through the word of the gospel. And who is the word of the gospel? Who? Jesus Christ. Look at John 3, uh, 6, 37. How many of you have heard this? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on there, son. There's a verse that Paul wrote somewhere to somebody. Quoting from Isaiah. And Paul says this. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How many have heard that verse? Burtis, you ever hear the verse? Where is it, brother? Say it again. 10 what? 13, 10, 13. Paul wrote it to somebody someplace about something. He's quoting the Old Testament. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, you must call first. Doesn't that what it sounds like? Are you with me? Does that what it sounds like? Harlan, you must call first. And if you call God first, he knows that you're going to call him way back then. Then he's going to save you because you called him first. Now, that's what you hear preached a lot, isn't it? How many here call on God so you can be saved? How many have heard that? Well, it's true, but it's not understood, I think, the accurate way. We're not saved because we call upon the name of the Lord. We're saved because Christ has done all the work and he has called us. Say it again. Listen to 637. It's okay. The guy will go away at the end of the class. Listen to John 637. This is a Pentecostal church. You can yell and scream all you want in this classroom. You can jump up and run around and wave handkerchiefs. I'm with you because this is good news. That's right. That's right. Look, them shouting words. This is shouting words. If the saints win today, that's shouting, but this is more shouting. This is to get excited about. To know that we're here because of the love of God was set in our hearts before we were ever created. Amen. Yes. You're right. If you don't sit down, then let me stop. Everybody knows Steve Scalise, known as Rooster. <laughs> Listen to John six thirty seven. Listen, listen, listen closely. Look at it closely with me. Very important verse. All, how many? All, how many? Anybody left out of that all? Are you afraid that someone won't be saved if you don't get the gospel to them? It's impossible. All. That or whom the Father, what? Gives to me. When did he give? Before eternity. All the Father gives to me. You see, that's foreknowledge. What? Will come to me. Say it again. Will come to me. 
And whoever, look at that. Is it bold in your word? Is it in a bold in whoever is bold? No, no, in your uh, notes. Circle whoever. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Look at that. All will come. Whoever, what? Comes, I will not cast out. Are you looking at the verse? Circle the word whoever. Now, notice that the word whoever is not just any whoever. Who are these whoever? In that verse, who are the whoever? The ones whom the Father has given. The whoever in that verse are the ones whom God has given, Herman. It's not just whoever. There's a specificity to whoever. Well, that's not how I understand the word. But that's how Jesus used the terms. That is God's use of the language. Get it. Who are the whoever in that verse, Shirley? Those whom God has given foreknowledge before the foundation of the world to Jesus to be what? To be saved. Are you with me? Be with me today. Now, this is the whoever who call upon the name of the Lord. Look at Romans ten thirteen. Whoever will call upon the name of Yahweh will be what? Will be saved. Does this word whoever mean anybody at all in the world? Or is it the same whoever who are given to Jesus by God? Are you with me? You see, the word whoever in Romans 13 is not helter-skelter, anybody at all. Anybody can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Anybody. That's not what the Bible teaches. Those whom God has given to the Son, those are the whoevers who will call upon the name of the Lord. Calling, therefore, is our response to having been called Are you with me on this? It's not a statement of it just doesn't matter. Anybody at all can call. You may may want that, but that's not what's there. And if that's the case, that it's up to you to call, none of us would be saved because Romans tells us no one seeks for God. How can no one seek for God? And yet God says, the call upon, if you call upon, you'll be saved. You see, there's a context there. No one in himself, in herself, of her own volition, of her own fallen nature, is able to call. Why? Because we're dead. Remember Ephesians 2.1? We're dead. I've done a lot of funerals in my day. Did one the other day, Friday. And not to be sacrilegious, I have never seen the person for whom I'm doing the funeral Help me. Let me out of here. Have you ever been to a funeral where the dead person is able to call out? What does it mean being dead? It means having no natural ability whatsoever. Are you with me? The Bible says you're dead. Oh, well, he doesn't mean that. You're dead. You're enemies. You're weak. You're helpless. You're sinners. 
That's Romans 5, 6, 8, and 10. Where in those words do you see an innate given to each one of us an ability to call on the name of the Lord on our own? It's not there. It is a created theology to protect what people call human free will. We have free choice, but within a context. A fish's free choice is to swim anywhere in the ocean. But the fish does not have the free choice to get out of the ocean and walk on the land and live. Can you, can you hear me? We have free choice to live as fallen human beings within the ocean of this world. But we don't have the freedom to get out of this world into the fresh air of God's grace. We have to be what? Taken out and we have to be reconstructed with different kinds of lungs to live in God's atmosphere. We're free in one sense to remain in sin. But we're not free in another sense to come out of sin. Correct? Anybody have a problem with that? Do you you understand this? So, I must try to get going. The whoever is the person who calls on the name of the Lord. Why? Why? Because he is the whoever who who has already been called by God to come to Jesus. The word whoever in Romans 10, 13 is not the person who is on his own, deciding on his own that he will receive Jesus. It's the person upon whom the Holy Spirit moves, changing the stony heart into a heart of flesh, and as a consequence says, Jesus, otherwise you ain't never calling. And the Holy Spirit comes upon those whom God has given to Jesus to bring them in to Christ by changing their heart, their nature, so that they can and will say what? Jesus. All those whom God has given me, what? They will come. Some say, well, suppose they're called, but they don't come. They ain't called then. What does Jesus say? They what? Do you see it, Lester? They what? Do you see it? Beth, do you see it? They will come. Do you see the words, will come? So if you have an argument with this, go talk to God about this. I didn't write the book. They what? Will come. Well, what about, doesn't everybody in the world know the gospel? Yes. Everybody in the world knows they should call upon the name of the Lord. I won't read it, but if you read Romans 1, verses 19 and 20, God has made himself what? Known. And therefore, he says, no one is without excuse. What about the people in China, in Africa, in West Wego? What about those people? Some of you didn't miss that. Uh, What about those people? Everyone whom God foreknows, no matter where they are, no matter under what condition they live, the Holy Spirit will call them. 
because the Holy Spirit has no geographical, social, political, ethnic, religious, cultural, racial lines. Whoever they are, where, wherever they are, and however they are, what? They are predestined to be called. Why? Because God has loved them before Genesis 1.1. Does this begin to alleviate us from the burden what we must do and put us into the category of depending upon what God will do as we cooperate? Well, what about the... Does it mean that everyone can be savingly called? No. In Paul in verse 16 and 17 in this particular chapter explains the difference between the general call and what we should and what all should do and what those who are called by God do. Listen to verse 16. However, they did not all hear the, heed the good news. Everybody heard it, but what? They didn't what? Eh, I don't want that. I'm a good and you name the religion. They didn't all heed. Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Well, therefore, verse 17. Look at verse 17 says in John, sorry, Romans 10. Therefore, what? Faith does what? Look at it. Is it in your word? That faith what? Faith what? Comes. It's outside of us. And it comes to us through the call of God. God calls you, and as he calls you, Doc, what happens? That call generates what? Faith. Faith. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the word of God or hearing the word of Christ. That's where faith comes from. And only those who are called are given that faith. Now, we may not like that or whatever, but that's just, you know, what God does. Look at John 10, 26. May I go a few moments over? Is that okay with everyone? If you have to leave, go ahead. John 10, 26. Listen to what Jesus said. You do not believe. How many would say this? Because you have not received Jesus, you do not go to heaven. It, it doesn't work that way. Look at what he says. You do not believe. Why? Because you are not my flock. You're not phonon. Now, that's a verse we have to wrestle with. Therefore, my sheep. Who? Look at the words possessive here. The, the, what is my? It's a first person possessive plural. I mean, sorry, singular, isn't it? Remember, possessive, my, mine. I, you know, if you have kids, you know what my means. My mind. Why? My sheep hear. You could, you could also put what? Always hear. Right, Andy? You could put in there how much? When do they hear? Always hear. Why do they always hear? Because they are predestined to be called. It is a guarantee according to God's foreknowledge. You're going to hear. Not only naturally, but you're going to hear with the Spirit. Spirit and by the Spirit. And when you hear, you will respond by saying, Jesus. In other words, you will respond by calling upon the name of the Lord who is calling you to himself. This is good news. I know them. Remember, Gnosko. 
And they what? Follow me. You can read the little scripture, John 10, 14. I'll read it. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows all that gnosko language, foreknowledge. Me and I know the Father. I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. In other words, we're, we're there. I must bring them all, and they will listen to my voice so that there be one flock and one shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So this is that call that Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. How do you know you labor and are heavy laden? The Holy Spirit tells you. And when you get that revelation, sin is burdening me, and I'm laboring under sin. And when he tells you that and convicts your heart by telling you, then he gives you the faith to say, Jesus. To say what? Call upon the name of the Lord. We're saved not because we called. We're saved because he called to which call we responded. In conclusion, God predestines his people whom he has foreknown to be called by the Holy Spirit. This is the context of what Ezekiel is saying in chapter 36, 26 to 27, if you care to read that later. This is the reason all who are called will call upon the name of the Lord and receive God's gift of his son. This is the reason why we can know that God works all things for the good, for those who love him and who are what? Called according to his purpose. His purpose is the last word in verse 30, glorification. See you next Sunday.